Hi friends, welcome to the Artist Blend. Today we're going to be talking about the role of gender in vocal performance and how that's changing. So grab your mug. And let's get talking. Woo! Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody. Hello. Hello. As you can probably tell, we have a guest today. Yes, we, we have do. Deontay Warren. Do you, Deontay L. Warren? Deontay Warren? Yeah, the, the equity name is L. Warren, but it's fine. Got <laughs> it's it. Fine. No, okay, cool, cool. <laughs> we don't want them on our tail, so yeah, we'll just fine. go with <laughs> We're so glad to have you on the show. I have not seen your face since we did SpongeBob together last year, uh, last summer. <laughs> today, me and Austin um, are sharing. We actually don't have the same coffee blend. Dun, we do dun, have the same dun. brand, though. Um, we had somebody sent us so graciously so many different samples of uh, coffee from Bones mm -hmm. Coffee. And um, we were like, okay, there's so many, so let's tag team this. Yes. And so, before, before we lose the coffee, we're tag teaming it. So Exactly. I was like, this could go bad. So uh, I have Highland Grog. Mm -hmm. And I have Salty Siren is what Ooh. I'm drinking today. Yes. So we'll they give have some our cool ones. The they end. have like s'mory time they have mm -hmm. dark army of dark chocolate like random cool things that sounds cool. amazing so so um, clever in naming that's for sure yeah and what do you have Deontay? um i have uh, one of my favorite coffee shops um in nashville even though i'm not in nashville i'm in clarksville but um there's a, a coffee shop here called founding frothers that's my favorite. Mm. Um, that blends um, their coffee. Uh, it's Bongo Java. Um, and mm. um, yeah. and I don't know what the blend is. I just know Did it's delicious. It's okay. so delicious <laughs> that I'm drinking it black. Ooh, yes. Yeah, welcome. <laughs> That's how you know it's good. <laughs> so many people are like, but I have to have, I like coffee with my milk. And I'm like, well, that's fine. But I prefer just black coffee for the taste. So. But I really love uh, yeah. coffee. So if the if it's bad good, coffee, yes, give me all the please. milk and cream and well, sugar. Yes, but if it's good coffee, <laughs> so true. So black, true. please. <laughs> so today's topic um, is just about gender identity within the music industry in in sense of choral music, um, musical theater, and how it's defined necessarily. And for those who are just listening, not looking, I'm using air quotes because. What, it, what is the definition type thing? Um, and that's sort of what we're going to be talking about today and opening up a conversation for either us or for anyone listening um, because it's, it's a hot topic at the moment in our country and in the world, really, um, just for individuals who are struggling with it. Yes. Yeah, I, I wanted to jump in and say that um, Deontay is a brilliant musician. Yes. They're an expert on this. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember when we were talking about this issue last summer, um, I think you, in between like our, our show, our few days off, you like went across the country to speak at a conference <laughs> oh, about wow. this issue, which I think is so cool. And that's, yeah, that's why I was like, oh, wait, we need to have Deontay <laughs> yes, yes, to talk please. about this because <laughs> yeah. they're so knowledgeable. He knows mm -hmm. a, a plethora of things. They're also um, a vocal coach and they do so many things. And I think we're putting that at the front of this episode. So you probably heard some of that already, yes. but um they're so knowledgeable on this topic, and so we're here to just kind of have a conversation yeah. and learn. Um, Austin and I are both cisgender men, and mm -hmm. so um, we are starting to learn and trying to learn to understand our fellow human better. Mm -hmm. And um, 
that's what we hope that this episode does as Deontay yeah. just kind of talks about uh, his journey as an artist and a human first. And mm-hmm. um, then we'll sort of go into um, how gender is, is changing in not just musical theater, but music in general and yeah. what that means for vocalists. Yeah. So getting into our topics, one of the first questions I had, Deontay, is um, I uh, have a BM, a Bachelor of Music. For, it was my first degree, you being a brilliant musician, Easton having uh, his BFA, but also being involved in choral aspect. I feel like we can talk about this in ways, but choral music and musical parts in general um, are defined within a cisgender categorization when, when looking at it on paper. Um, but what do you feel might be the direction of change necessarily? Um, because, I mean, <clears throat> for those of you who don't know, when it comes to choral parts, you typically have soprano, alto, tenor, and bass as categories. I wouldn't even say as definition, but just as a category. But I've known many people who, um, even in rehearsals of musicals, it's like, okay, tenors are actually going to sing the alto mm-hmm. line. It's like, okay, okay. So if it doesn't matter, why <laughs> why do we slap a label on it type thing, you know? So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yes. Um, it's one of my favorite um, subjects to talk about, especially in relation to choral music and, and vocal parts. Because yeah. for so long, how we categorize voices has been based on gender. And the reality is that the... Um, I believe, uh, I can't speak for everyone who um, speaks on this subject and is working in this work, but I believe the Fox system actually doesn't serve anyone. Um, I don't think that uh, placing voices in boxes really serves anybody. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite voice teachers used to say to me, you're not a tenor, you're a singer. Mm. And I would go, oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's such a simple thing to say. Yeah. Um, when I look at the bo- my body of work, when I look at um, um, when I'm putting together a concert and I'm singing music of all these various styles uh, from all of these various traditions and all of these various ranges, yeah. um, without that teacher, there's so much music that I wouldn't have explored because it wasn't in my voice part. Yeah. Um, and he was just like, no, you're a singer, so just sing. And I was like... Yeah. <laughs> of course sense i'm just a singer yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um and i have to care, uh, credit him for that he was one of the first people before i even was introduced to um the uh, the concept of the gender non-binary before i had in a uh, vocabulary to mm. frame my experiences and in, in my own life through um, he was one of the first people that sort of planted that seed uh, about my own singing um, in, in me. His yeah. name is Jeremiah Abia, and he's just um, an incredible musician and human um, and, and mentor and, and all of the amazing things. Uh, but when it comes to what we're doing with the voice parts for choral parts, especially the work that I'm doing whenever I'm music directing and I'm putting together a musical. Um, The idea is that um, we don't have to have voice parts gendered. So regardless of your gender, regardless of your identity, regardless of um, uh, what pronouns you use, you're singing the soprano part, you're singing the alto part, you're singing the tenor part, or you're singing the bass part. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, 
separating the idea that gender has any relation to the part that you're assigned to singing. Yeah. Um, when you're looking at, and it's even separating the idea that um, when you look at, especially some some more intricate music, like right now at my school, we're doing a new brain, and there were so many times throughout the show where um, the tenor and the alto lines would invert and the altos were singing lower than the tenors were singing. And um, a lot of complex um, arrangements do that. So it's about what line are you following yeah. um, and giving that part a name so that you can track your line part, but not assigning um, a vocal quality or assigning a gender to each actual part. Um, and I think that is where we're moving as an industry. And I think that's where we have to keep moving. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah. Does that answer that question? Oh, yes. 100%. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> I, I, love, I love that within your uh, explanation, I was thinking about how it, it, this goes to instrument, instrumentation, but along the same yes. lines. When you think of um, different instruments following a certain part and it's almost like you can't give gender uh, you can't give music a gender because right. you would try to be telling people oh the trumpet that's a, a male sound oh the the clarinet that's a no it's not <laughs> like no it's a trumpet sound yeah exactly it's like yeah. that's an in, that's an instrument it's fine yes. <laughs> yeah so it, that's what made me think of it. yeah gr- growing up when i started to do um theater like with community theater there was this woman, um, sweet, sweet woman that I adored, and um, we were in our first music rehearsal, and she was like, oh, I sing tenor. I'm not an alto. And the music director was like, oh, okay, cool. Well, just hop over to the tenor section. And I was like, what? It's just that There's easy. just different voices that exist? Like, oh, yeah. uh, exactly. <laughs> it was just fascinating to me. And and I love that, that you, you mentioned Yes, it's important to have to understand a track. Like, yes, you do need some sort of categorization for what what vocal part am I following, but those parts mm-hmm. have uh, um, don't inherently have to have gender attached. I would even argue that for so for so long we've taken voices and said you have a, a low voice, you have a bass voice. Mm-hmm. Well, um, the the work that I do, I. Um, have trained in and now teach a pedagogy called One Voice. And it's essentially saying um, that um, each um, voice assigned male at birth has um, uh, most the same potential as every other voice assigned male at birth. And the same for for singers assigned female at birth. It's saying that you... Um, uh, we all have sound and um, uh, note range potentials that are vast. Mm-hmm. And I, um, it was one of the first claims that made me go, let me learn more about this. This is interesting. Yeah. Exactly. And, then, and now I'm seeing it happen. I'm seeing all of my basses singing way higher than they ever thought they could. And I'm seeing my 
tenders singing lower than they ever thought they could. Um, if mm-hmm. you couldn't see me, I did the tenors and basses in um, yes. air quotes. <laughs> um, because because um, the voice is the voice. Yep. Um, now, depending on how you've worked, uh, what habits you've built, um, uh, a myriad of things that determine your comfortable range, where you are in the moment. Yeah. And I think that is more deter- that more determines what part you sing when it comes to singing part. Yeah. than um, your voice potential. Um, uh, so I believe that if somebody just says, oh, well, that's just um, too low. Yeah, for now. Um, yeah. But maybe that doesn't have to be for forever if that's not yeah. how you want it mm. to be. Yeah. It, it, the voice is a muscle. You can stretch and flex it to different directions over time. Uh, I like what you said. That it's like, well, you can't do it right now. Hmm. Um and so yeah, often because you have habits right now sorry you have no, habits no, right not. now that like have 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 made this comfortable for you mm-hmm. but um we can do work to open up the potential and honestly as a musical theater singer you need to have as much potential as possible um and so the work that i do with musical theater students um is saying how can we take um, what's your comfortable range right now and make that something that's going to be viable for you to have a career with, yep. you know? Literally. And um, and when it comes to singing parts, how much more useful are you in an ensemble when you can cover more than one part? Mm. Yeah. I'm fascinated by um, the, the one voice theory in, in practice. So just to, to make sure that I am comprehending this, so with the the one voice ideology you have um when you're looking at i'll i'll use the the voices assigned male at birth because that was what we were talking about earlier there is mm-hmm. the the idea is that there is potential in any given um voice assigned male at birth to become tenor or bass depending on their vocal practices and habits while they're growing into their voice um i would say that the potential is inherent in in every singer period so it's not even that yeah. you can become tenor or bass or baritone. It's that um, uh, how you the the habits you establish and how you use your voice and um, uh, how you actually work the mechanism really kind of determines this range that we we find ourselves in. Yeah. And then um, okay. most singing pedagogies then say from there, let's work within the habits you already have to, to um, expand mm. your range. But what I like to do mm. with singers right now, using one voice is um, saying, no, no, these are the habits that you have now. Let's establish some habits that expands your possibilities and um, says yeah. that, okay, well, you're this part of your voice is really well established. Um, let's um, mm. open access to other parts of it. Um, and without mm, getting yeah. into the weeds of one voice, um, uh, it's it's mm-hmm. really fun work. And it's so rewarding to watch people realize that all of the limits that have been placed on them or that they've placed on themselves um, uh, don't exist. And it's really... Um, mm, and yeah. and uh, of course... There is, um, sometimes it's harder for people, just like breaking any habit or exercising any new habits can be difficult. Um, but 
if you really stick to it, I think I'm 12 weeks in um, with most of my students that are doing One Voice right now and listening to what they're doing right now versus what they were doing back in January is chef's kiss. <laughs> nice. I love that. Um, I, again, as Easton said earlier, uh, am a cis male, but I have fallen in the box for so, box in quotation, for so long um, based off my speaking voice, just by habits that I've formed, mm -hmm. I sound like a baritone bass. But then I can sing up in tenor land. Oh. So for the oh longest boy. time, can I've had he? so Ooh. I know. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> you should hear his his, his uh, Bobby and company. Oh, it's so good. Oh, oh that was yes. <laughs> uh, thank you. But it's it's the thing of I love this one voice uh, ideology that you're talking about because I I don't fit within what people perceive and then they're like wait you can do that i'm like well, yeah so so what <laughs> like it's because i can <laughs> um, so that I, I love that um a second question we've kind of talked on this a little bit um but uh my second question was uh, men and women and transgender individuals have been singing other parts throughout history i mean forever you think of counter tenors you think of altos who sing way lower than any tenor could even do sometimes mm -hmm. um I've even met a female bass before cool. uh, in my in my travels. She was amazing, and I was like, I feel my chest vibrating from your voice. I don't know what's <laughs> happening. <laughs> and I was like, this is surreal. Um, but it's 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 sort of the question of why does it seem to be a quote issue now? And I don't think it's now as in like right this second. It's been been in and out. I'm I, I guess for many many years. But I love, um, with your knowledge of this one voice that you're talking about and being in it and going to um, the speaking conference, whatever it might have been, uh, that Easton touched on, what do, what do you see happening right now just in general, if that makes any um, sense? The conference I went to was NATS, the National Association of Teachers of Singing. And um, uh, anyone that's unfamiliar with that organization, it is traditionally um, uh, for teachers of classical singing. Mm. And um, uh, recently they have opened up into uh, musical theater categories. I think there's a small contingent of um, more uh, commercial contemporary um, uh, things happening because there is a lot more science and research in contemporary styles and um, contemporary singing. Mm -hmm. And what we're, what's happening right now is that we're having a, a revelation that a lot of these um, uh, Eurocentric biases of uh, what constitutes a study of singing mm -hmm. or um, a well-learned singer or worthy of study is uh, evolving, it's, it's shifting, and the science is supporting us and mm -hmm. uh, in that evolution. And we're also realizing that a lot of the things that we teach from the classical tradition are not helping contemporary singers. So um, singers are um, learning these uh, classical techniques and then um, are going to do eight shows a week on Broadway in these contemporary style shows and blowing their voices out and getting surgeries every other year. 
Um, same's happening with these pop stars, learning these classical techniques that were never built for that type of singing. And so now we're learning um, that there is a lot of, um, and, and there's a lot of science that's backing this, that there are other ways to sing other than um, this classical tradition and other ways to study and other ways to teach, yeah. um, which is a wild thing to me that we're just now um, uh, sort of having this revelation because people were singing long before we were making mm -hmm. classical music and studying mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, this this f false narrative that classical singing is the foundation of singing mm -hmm. um, has been perpetuated for, for way too long. And this is not saying I have anything against classical singing. I love classical music. I love singing in that style and in that tradition. People don't let me do it very often because <laughs> once they learn that the contemporary gospel thing is there, it's all they want to hear. But um, but I really, really, really enjoy it. And, it's, um, and I have a vast amount of respect for it. And I'm glad that that's a part of my education. Yeah. However, when I'm singing Dreamgirls, when I'm singing Aladdin, um, yeah. uh, when I'm singing Sister Act, I'm yeah. not using those techniques. No. Um, so um, a lot of it is coming out of the idea that um, the whole uh, thing is shifting and some people don't want that shift. So they're fighting hard for the yeah. old guard and the thing that they yeah. know and the thing that they've been teaching for decades. And um, um, most of us um, in the weeds of the work are really saying that this benefits everyone to reframe our ideas of um, how what traditions we teach, what pedagogies we teach, um, how we go about that um, uh, can really mitigate a lot of harm that's being done in the voice studio, in choral, in uh, chorals, in um, ensembles uh, of musicals. Um, all of this idea, the, the misgendering, the assigning gender to things that don't really need to have gender assigned to them. Um, and all the way down to the, the basic pedagogy, how we talk about breathing, how we manage breath and how we talk about it, um, how we talk about resonance, how we talk about the creation and the shaping of sound, all of that is um, uh, being questioned. And I think that's why it feels like this big new thing is because there's so much science that's uh, showing that the way we've been doing it does not help everybody and it doesn't mm. work for everyone and that there's a better way. Hmm. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Because um, you have, you, you, I once heard um, the analogy that classical music, if you looked at it as if it were layers of the earth, classical music is what we have dug to, mm -hmm. but we're not going past it we're not we're not seeing any further digging any deeper i love um, that well and i would argue that even um other even opposite of layers it's not even mm -hmm. just layers it's really um uh 
this vast network of things and we've decided what's important um, and we've yeah. done it in the educational system as a whole. It's one of the biggest mm -hmm. problems that I think we have is that we decided that this sort of Eurocentric view of education is it, is worthy. Mm -hmm. But there is so much more to learn from different cultures, from different experiences, different walks of life, different ways of being. It's why um, a, a piece of my research that I'm also engaged in is... Um, how we take our pedagogies and make them more inclusive, um, mm -hmm. um, sort of say that there isn't one central way of being or thought process or a group of people um, um, more important to learn from than any others. It's this idea of uh, cultural pluralism or multiculturalism that says that every um, culture has the same amount of importance and um, we need to be learning from them all. And I And I view that uh, the same as the classical tradition. Same thing goes for the dance world. Um, most of my performing career, honestly, was dancing in ensembles and covering parts. And mm -hmm. um, uh, I had a dance minor in my uh, um, undergrad. And um, the dance world has the same problem. They say there's this idea that ballet, that classical ballet is the 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 foundation of dance it's a lie yeah people were dancing long before that that honestly unnatural way of moving um uh was ever put together it's gorgeous and the traditions it holds are important and um of course it's worthy of study but it is not the foundation of dance mm -hmm. people were dancing long before we decided to study it so um, I think uh, it's not just the music industry, it's not just singing, it's not just dance, but I think it, mm. it's every piece of our society, every art yeah. form has the same issue. And I, yeah. I, I just had a light bulb go off. I feel like it is incredibly similar to looking at visual arts and claiming that the Renaissance was the beginning of art when right. we have caveman's etchings on cave walls that we found, and that exactly. that is what we can look to as the beginning of art, um, archaeologically yes. speaking. And it's like it's mm -hmm. like that doesn't resonate as truthful in other areas of artistic expression and, and industries. Exactly, yeah. exactly. I mean, think about it. You know, some of those uh, cave paintings are from um, are from uh, species of human that are extinct that don't even exist anymore. Before we were even us, we were making art. Yeah. yeah. So to claim that, you know, somewhere along our history, we started it and this is the foundation of it is extremely arrogant, in my opinion. Yeah. 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 I love that. And, 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 and we have a tendency to be that as humans. Yeah, we do. <laughs> right? um, um, and, you know, there's, yeah. there's a certain amount of that um, that uh, uh, comes with being human. But also, yeah. I think it's also important for us to call that out and to speak to it. And um, when we see a better way to, to come together and provide it. And, hey, in 50, 60, 70 or 100 years, people will go, OK, thank you for doing that work that got us here. But now there is a better way and we have to be open to that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly. And also embracing that that's a way that works insanely well for some people and and allowing yes. co coexistence of pedagogy and and coexistence of methodology and 
and allowing them both to mm. exist in the same space of equal importance, yeah. like you were saying. Exactly, yeah. of, of equal importance and not, not trying to put one on a pedestal and one down, but like really saying that all of it has a place, um, but there is not one of them that um, should take up every place. Mm. The argument that um, because we don't understand something, we have to avoid it is um, a dangerous one. Um, I think that when I don't understand something before I allow myself to form an opinion, even when I have a knee-jerk reaction, I always just try to remind myself, wait, this knee-jerk reaction is because I don't have enough information. Um, I'm afraid of what I don't know. So let me investigate. I say this to my students all the time. When you're like, um, that didn't go the way I wanted it to go or that didn't feel the way I wanted it to feel. That wasn't what I was going for. Um, don't have this knee jerk. Oh, I'm not going to do it anymore. Or I'm going to power through. I'm going to push through. Um, that's a knee jerk response. Just investigate it. And if yeah. you investigate it for long enough, you'll find that you have the answer. Um, you know it. We've covered it mm -hmm. over and over and over mm -hmm. again. Um, and I feel the same way about when these issues come up. So when somebody says something that I don't understand, um, uh, instead of going, no, yeah. I go, oh, why or yeah. how? And um, and, and, and try to, know. <laughs> yeah, and really try to understand where that person is coming from. And then if I disagree, um, saying I disagree, but that doesn't mean that I, because I disagree that you are discredited mm. in um, the conclusion you've come to. And, um, and I think that that's a thing that we're not allowing to happen enough is, um, hey, Thank you for sharing that with me. I didn't come to the same conclusion you came to, but that doesn't mean that I think any less of you. That doesn't mean that um, uh, uh, I'm putting any judgment or or value on how on the conclusion you came to. I just didn't come to the same conclusion, yeah. and um, and that's we have to allow that to be okay. So when people say to me, "I don't understand why do you use he and they pronouns," and I'm like, "I don't understand why." you feel like you have to understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, and at the end of the day, I can explain to you um, my experience in my body in this life, uh, being the, the black queer person in this country <laughs> that I am. Um, I can try to explain, but uh, uh, even if you still don't understand, that's okay. Um, uh, we can come to the conclusion that we don't understand each other and you can still respect mm. me and I can still respect you. And 100%. at the end of the day, that's where it has to come to. Yeah. Even if you don't get it, even if you're like questioning it or you're like, that does not compute. Um, mm. uh, and, and it takes all of us to create society and to, to create community. We have to respect one another, whether we understand sexuality, whether we understand identity, whether we um, uh, can understand from lived experience or not. Um, uh, yeah, we can use our lived experience to create intersections of communities um but the grander larger community takes all of us mm -hmm. and sure. um and we have to be able to come to a place where we respect one another whether we understand the lived experience or not and i mm -hmm. just think that it is um 
this thing that we've started to do even more of now where we are because we are more interconnected than ever because we have more access to each other than ever <laughs> um uh we uh forget how to communicate and we forget how to hold space and we forget how to disagree and we forget how to not understand and mm. still respect each other yeah yeah i, I love i'd that. love to speak to um to I guess the, the whole thing, but there's, there's a specific at, at the front end you're talking about just being afraid of not understanding. And I, and I think mm. obviously this conversation is a very hot button issue. And I think it absolutely applies to some big social movements that are happening in our country and the world, but also they mm-hmm. apply to this very specific conversation that we have been having of gender yes. in music. And um, I always, this is so silly, but I always go back to this line from Beauty and the Beast, the, the, the musical, mm. we don't like what we don't understand. In fact, it scares us. And this monster is mysterious mm-hmm. at least. And mm. I, I think whether, whether we're, we're talking about um, the, the conversation of pronouns or we're talking about just like not understanding someone's cultural differences or whatever it might be, we make monsters out of the things that we don't understand. And, and oh, that's boy. not to yeah. villainize the people that don't understand. But I always go back to that, um, that mob song lyric from Beauty and the Beast, as silly as that is. But I think another aspect is, is um, with that lyric, we, we villainize that mob, but, if you if you were to follow like a I I just I was watching the show at Hollow Studios the other day and I was like if I were to track this one ensemble member's story they are scared to death of this thing that they just haven't taken the time to look at and right. because it is so unfamiliar it's so scary and um yeah. I think to 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 wrap up this thought I think the fact that um if you are listening to this podcast, great. You are familiarizing yourself with something that maybe you know a lot about or you know nothing about. Um, but gender in music might be that mysterious beast that we should yeah. start talking about and get mm. to know because maybe it's a prince in disguise. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, no, literally. But, yeah. I love that. I just, I, I completely agree. And I just, um, engaging in this work while it's been tough and it, it is a huge topic that you can really find yourself getting lost in it is it has been so wonderful to watch my students of every iteration of identity that you can (laughs) think of um i i love the students we have at austin p because they really are doing the work to understand themselves and express that and understand each other and um, make space for each other and we're doing the work as their faculty to uh, make sure that we're allowing that for them um, a part of my work is not assigning repertoire yeah um, I don't assign work to my students um, I really believe in the collaborative teaching model and um, so the the way they come about their rep is a conversation of course I guide mm. the conversation yeah. you know especially when it comes to style and um, whatever um, pedagogical needs you know have to be met by the material we're working on but um when a student comes to me and says you know hey i identify as a male but i really want to sing this bell song um we go great well let's find the key that works for where you are right now 
you know, mm-hmm. or the key that works for what we're trying to build together. Um, and that was one of the biggest pieces of contention at the Nats conference last summer was when um, there was a representative for musical theater, me, I was representative for opera, um, uh, one of my amazing colleagues, they're, they're just fantastic. And um, um, a couple of people that really kind of wrote the um, the book on the gender work that we do, um, mm-hmm. especially um, in the voice. Um, one of the biggest things we said was change the key. And um, whether it's classical music, whether it's musical theater, whether it's pop music, change the key yeah. and and let people identify how, how they identify. And when you do that, it really um, can be one of the most affirming things for performers. And not saying, hey, you are a large bodied uh, uh, girl who can quote unquote belt. I'm going to give you Tracy Turnblatt material. No, I'm going to say, who are you? What do you Mm -hmm. want? What do you want your rep to say about you? What do you want to explore in your artistry? And let's find you some material that helps you say that. Mm -hmm. Because um, the industry doesn't want you to be told who you are. It's going to try to tell you who you are. But it, do- it doesn't actually want to be able to tell you. It wants you to walk into the room and say, hey, this is who I am. Mm. Literally. That's all they yeah, really want. And nobody yeah. will tell you that. But that's actually what, they're, what they want. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But we spend so much of our educational spaces trying to, put, trying to help people find the boxes that they fit in. And all of my mm-hmm. work does for my students of every gender, of every race, of every size is all about realizing that the box doesn't exist much mm-hmm. like the limit in mean girls doesn't exist yeah yeah <laughs> that's good. thank you if you got uh, the reference <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, coming to my last question if we want to keep talking about anything that's fine um but it's uh something that i found also in my research was visibility is powerful mm. um so making an environment to where people feel seen but what are ways that we as artists in different fields, obviously, as the three of us are in different places, what are ways that we can create more visibility, uh, whether it be in music, in teaching, in art, in conversation? Uh, what have you found in um, within your parameters of being a teacher and instructor, artist, speaker, all these other things? To, to add to that question, um, looking at people like Alex Newell, who has gone on to to not allow gender to define their humanity. In your opinion, what are ways that we can embrace humanity first to allow humans mm-hmm. to be whatever artist they want to be boundless of the the categorizations that we give them? Yep. I love that. And the answer to that, in my opinion, is way simpler than you'd think. I, I'd say this. Listening, having conversation, sharing um being open um creating space for people um where we walk into things not assuming anyone's um identity or assuming um anything about anyone one of the most beautiful things about this experience was um if you don't mind me sharing some behind the scenes. No, please, yeah. Um, one of the most beautiful things about this experience was before we started, you just asking me, how do you like to be identified? How do you like to be referred to? Um, 
can feel like such an awkward question, but it is one of the most um, uh, simple things we can do for each other. So even when you see someone that is um, uh, seemingly, quote unquote, seemingly cis, um, not assuming anything about anyone and taking cues from them, um, even if you're not comfortable asking that question, taking cues from them how are they referring to themselves you know like and 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 listening and uh coming into space um uh without all of the baggage of how we've been socialized into thinking that um people have to identify as one thing or another mm-hmm. and honoring when someone says i don't want to be categorized um, it's just as important as honoring the person that says, I need a category. I need to know yeah. where I fit in. Mm. You know, uh, they're both valid and they're both valued. And um, we have to create space for all of that. So I think mm. that would be my answer to Easton's part of that question. And Austin, the 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 way the thing about visibility is we just have to do it even when it's no longer popular. Even when it's no longer the thing that's going to um, uh, get you uh, uh, engagement on social media, um, yeah. even when it's n- no longer the hot button issue, that we put it into practice, put it into practice so much and for so long that it becomes a part of culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and once that happens, um, investigating who else have we left out? And how can yeah. we also hmm. create visibility for them and continuing the work and, and realizing that it's a situation of never arriving. It's um, I tell hmm. my students all the time, um, a, a lot of what we do is about um, technical adjustments in the voice, uh, especially in hmm. the voice studio. But a huge part of what we do is um, building artistry. Uh, building integrity and um, building discipline. And um, the work that I do in the voice studio isn't possible without all of those things in line. So we do a lot of um, uh, chatting about what that means, about what it means to not arrive. Um, There is no arrival. We are always, we are process oriented. We are uh, journey oriented as uh, granola as that may sound. Um, We, um, I love granola. So we're going to lean in, you know, (laughs) good parfait. (laughs) Thank you. So I, I, we are journey oriented and we're not looking for a product. We're not looking for an, an, an end goal. Um, we're looking for markers along the way, you know, uh, yeah. of course, because um, uh, we do goal setting work. But that's really about mm-hmm. creating um, uh, mark points along the way that move and adjust and change and they interchange. It's about being in the process and in the journey and not ever arriving anywhere. It's about realizing mm-hmm. that perfection is a fallacy. It, um, it doesn't actually exist. And so the pursuit of it is folly. And yeah. uh, uh, and, and being messy and creating space where it's okay to fall on your face um, laugh about it, cry about it, however you feel about it, however but get up do. and keep yep. going, you know? Yep. Um, and um, that's the work that we have to do as a society around creating visibility. Because, yeah, mm-hmm. at one point, the, the talk was creating visibility around um, around race. 
um, uh, which is work that still needs to keep being done. But we've come a long way. Um, and the, but the work isn't over. <laughs> <laughs> the work mm. is really just beginning on that front. And now we're mm. talking about a, a, a myriad of different ways that we have to continue to create visibility. So it's about realizing that this is work that we have to engage in for life, um, mm. that as long as we have society, we will have people that are that are excluded from that society and that we have to work to include. Um, yeah. and, um, and And this is the topic right now. Um, but it can't ever stop being the topic when we start adding on other topics. We just have to keep doing the work. Um, and, and finally, I think the, the final part of that is um, to offer a rebuttal that visibility is the thing that we need to be focusing on. Yeah. What we need to be focusing on is who's making the decisions, who mm. is being mm. given the opportunity to create who is being given the opportunity to fund, who is being given the opportunity to um, uh, uh, compile collaborators. Uh, because when um, that only looks like a certain type of person, then yep. the, the decisions are always only being made by a certain type of person. And even yep. when you have the best of intentions and you make other types of people the face of your thing, the meat of it is still um, um, harmful to those people. Yeah. I cannot tell you how um, frustrating it, it, it is to be a black queer person in theater and, and, and how harmful it is to play stereotypes of yourself over mm -hmm. and over and over yeah. again. Because people think that by putting you on the stage, they have created some sort of magical uh, representation. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. now you have people writing my story that don't understand my story. They only understand what it looks like. Yep. Yeah. And and and, and that's harmful. Yeah. Um. And even when you have the best of intentions, it's harmful. So I think that the visibility is not the issue. I think who are we allowing to be in these rooms to create and how are we empowering creators of all identities? How are we empowering um, uh, writers and directors and choreographers and producers? Mm -hmm. And how are we creating uh, space for all of these people to exist in all of these spaces, not just visibly on stage and in front yeah. of the camera? I think of, I think of the analogy of, um, the arts being a mirror to mm. society and that's like an age-old thing that we say <laughs> and um i think in, in hearing what you were saying relating it to that analogy it's not just whose reflection can you see but like who's holding the mirror because mm. that's a heavy mirror yes if the point of art is to create compassion and connection with everyone that exists in the world and to unite us all in our reflections mm -hmm. we all have to take part in hoisting that mirror up because that's a big one and mm -hmm. there's lots of people and there's lots mm -hmm. of humans in the world exactly. and <laughs> we all have to have a finger on that mirror and yeah. if we lift it up together if we all have a finger on it yeah. we can do it exactly <laughs> exactly that's yeah. um that's a beautiful beautiful analogy and um, uh, continuation of of that old saying. I think that's a beautiful evolution of it. Well, like we said from the beginning, this was a wonderful time to be talking about this this topic. Um, I've come away with many nuggets from both um, the research and um, just 
uh, teachings for myself, but also um, all of the knowledge that you have brought to the table, Deontay. So thank you very much for all that you've brought and all that you are and uh-huh. helping us continue to grow as artists and people um, because yeah. it matters. We matter. And I love, I absolutely love your example of there is no destination. Yes, we are like goal driven and destination driven as a society necessarily, yeah. but we got to keep going. There's, there's no end necessarily. Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I thank you so much. For, um, thank you for the work that you're doing, having these conversations and, and bringing these conversations to people that may or uh, some may not already be in them. Um, uh, thank you for the way that you come at, um, some of these topics, some of the more difficult ones from a place of compassion and care. Um, it's, it's really refreshing and wonderful. And, um, I think the last thing that I would want to leave people with is that, yes, um, it's important that we are creating, um, equality around gender and identity, but, um, it's important that we're investigating every aspect of which we other people and um, how we can um, bring people in and how we can um, call each other in and and see each other and respect each other and recognize each other. And um, the more we work toward that, the more um, I think we're reaching humanity's potential. Um, and I think our potential is not in technology. It's not in um, uh, industry. It's not in money. I think our potential is in each other. Um, and then when we really um, tap into that, we can really create something powerful and beautiful and amazing. And um, I would like to see some of that while I'm still here. Yeah. I just want to look. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Give me that marker on the journey. Yeah, yeah right? Yeah. Yeah. Just keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Collect yeah. them all, please. The more markers, the better. <laughs> gotta uh, catch them all. Yeah, gotta catch them all. <laughs> Uh, well, briefly, Easton, why don't we uh, wrap up with the coffee and then? Oh yeah, I, I think this has been a beautiful conversation that needs to continue. Yeah. So if you're listening, have the conversation, create those spaces for all the people that are in your lives. Um, but I had the salty siren from the Bones Coffee. It was not salty, yeah. but it was good. <laughs> um, <laughs> It, it has a, a light note. Also, Deontay, we're not coffee experts. We're like, yes, this is, is coffee. <laughs> <laughs> we're on the journey. We're on the journey to figure it out. <laughs> um, but mine was good. How was yours, Easton? I liked it. Um, I, I think Bones has a very specific taste to all of their flavors, as yep. we tried. Um, they they do interesting things uh, with with their beans, I, I feel like they might add some like oils or like powders or something I, that gives it so. an extra something mm-hmm. because the the flavors really come through. Like mine, um, it it says it's a spiced rum flavor with notes mm-hmm. of butterscotch and caramel, Yum. and I definitely got a little bit of rum at the front end, um, and then got some, yeah, some some butterscotch yes. on the back end, um, <laughs> which was which was fun. But yeah, Bones is a very they have a very specific quality to all of their flavors, which is good. I enjoy mm-hmm. it, um, but it's very yeah, it's definitely very specific. Yes. Deontay, I'm going to need <laughs> some of that bones. Where do I find? That sounds incredible. <laughs> yes. Actually, you know, um, when this episode comes out, if you go to our, uh, like, the little show notes, uh, do you listen to, like, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Spotify. whatever? Um, okay, cool. Yeah, I think on Spotify, yeah, Spotify, on Spotify. Um, you can access the show notes. 
on there too, but um, it'll have we always link everything in the, in the yep. thing. So we'll link your website. We'll link uh, Bones Coffee's <laughs> website. We also have um, shameless plug uh, our affiliate Carver Coffee. Mm-hmm. If you want their coffee, we got ten percent off on that for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have some great stuff coming out all the time. They do um, roasted right here in Davenport, Florida, um, cool. down the road. <laughs> but um, yeah. Anyway, so with that, guys, um, we've enjoyed this episode extremely lusciously deliciously <laughs> i'm just saying acronyms now <laughs> we've enjoyed deontay's presence so much so thank you for being here my friend thank uh, you. and yeah. what would you love to send the people on their way with our inspiring words yes uh, go out there and be good beans and drink good beans yeah yeah thank you so much everybody. have a great day everybody great day. ciao Artists Blend theme music was written and produced by Christopher and Sarah Bailey of Well Wishes Productions, a Nashville-based boutique production company specializing in multimedia production, live event contracting, studio, and live vocals. Find Incognita's Infamous Adventures on Amazon Prime and its soundtrack on all digital platforms.